it won't look good, I'm afraid, because what you have is a situation where government overspending and very low rates of interest has created the recession problem. And the only way that the um, establishment, if you like, says we can solve this problem is to have more of it, have more of the very thing that causes the problem. You have, almost like you're suggesting, you've got to rethink this and you've got to face up to the fact that you can't carry on doing the same thing because your problems are bad because you did these things and they're just going to get worse. You're not going to recover if you just carry on doing the things that cause the problem. You've actually got to reverse that process. You've got to start putting interest rates up. You've got to start saying to government, get your uh, books in order and stop overspending. Uh, you know, have policies designed to spend less um, and uh, eventually tax less. Because by spending less in a growing economy, your tax revenues will increase. They'll come in. So you can have tax rates that are lower. Thanks for watching this RTD interview. Don't forget to pick up your RTD Scary George round, only available at sdbullion.com. Now enjoy this interview. Welcome to Rethinking a Dollar. Today, I'm excited to have a first-time guest, Mr. John Hearn out of the UK. He is a commentator as well as an economist, and today he's joining us to share his thoughts on the global economy as well as a variety of other subject matter. So, John Hearn, welcome to Rethinking a Dollar. Pleased to meet you, Mike. Um, a little bit about myself. Sure. Feel free to let us know more about yourself. I'm sure we're curious as to who John Hearn is. So give us a little bit of your background and how you've yeah. arrived at this point in your career. Okie dokes. Well, I've uh, been teaching economics for many, many, many years uh, and started uh, teaching 16 to 18 year olds um, uh, pre-university. But um, back in the 90s, I moved away from that, started writing books uh, in economics uh, and then got drawn into teaching some professional examinations for the Charter Institute of Bankers in the UK, then into university teaching. Uh, so at the moment, I teach uh, undergraduates uh, on two courses and uh, postgraduates on an MSc course in banking and finance where I do the economics module. As an economist, uh, I tend to disagree with most economists, which is why I got drawn onto Twitter uh, and, uh, and writing a blog uh, explaining where uh, the economists get things wrong. Uh, and it's the area of macroeconomics, which is the big argument, of course, uh, and uh, the way the government uh, runs the economy through its monetary and fiscal policies, which are my specialist area and as I say there's a blog full of articles as well which are fairly controversial and it's a very good way of getting undergraduates interested you know they really do come out with uh, let's argue about this, let's argue about this let's argue about this and their thinking which is what I'm there for. Right. Understandable. Well, I, I enjoy the fact that you know you challenge people especially the younger generation because that's I believe who needs it most because they are our future so uh, looking forward to find out more of your, of your thoughts there. And so before we get any, go any further, I'm curious to find out your thoughts on the Federal Reserve note, a.k.a. the dollar. So the yeah. name of the show is called Rethinking the Dollar. So what comes to mind when John Hearn hears the words Rethinking the Dollar? It's really a case of getting the macroeconomic policy right uh, in, uh, in all countries, uh, not only uh, uh, the UK and the US. Uh, but uh, if you want to manage an economy and manage its money, 
you don't do it the way it has been done. Uh, the way it has been done in America caused firstly a great depression, uh, then it's uh, mismanaged uh, uh, prices during the uh, 70s uh, and it made a big mistake after the global financial crisis because it needed to deal with the quantity of money in the economy but it tried to do it through interest rate policy which is exactly the wrong thing to do uh, so i would be quite happy now for interest rates to be say two percentage points above the current rate of inflation uh, i'd also be quite happy if uh, uh, the government itself did not overspend its budget so I'd force governments into balancing their budget uh, over a three-year term and strong management through quantity of money controls because there is only one thing the Federal Reserve can do it cannot do anything else other than manage the rate of inflation or the rate of deflation manage the average level of prices it, it can't do anything wonderful it can't create jobs it can't stimulate the economy it can't do any of the things that it's supposed to do and you can see that because it's been stimulating the economy for years uh, and it hasn't had the desired effect because it can't actually do that the current problem that it has caused of course is asset bubbles so low interest rates have pushed up asset prices as a simple um, inverse relationship between those two things. So we sit on asset uh, bubbles uh, until interest rates go back up. Then some asset bubbles will burst. But we might get ourselves back into productive investment and economic growth rather than just buying and selling secondhand assets, uh, uh, flipping things in order to make a quick capital gain. Interesting. Now, I'm curious because you said one thing that really stood out is they can't uh, be responsible for employment. And so my question is, from a historical aspect, how did we arrive at the point of the Federal Reserve having two mandates, apparently, of stable prices and maximum yeah. employment? Give me, give, me, give me the rundown on that, please. Okay, it's called Keynesian economics. It was the sort of fundamental uh, theory after the Second World War that you could stimulate demand and manage economies to a full uh, level of employment. And it required two things. It required uh, a government's fiscal policy, so the balance between its expenditure uh, and its taxation, and it required initially an accommodating monetary policy. That's a monetary policy that is expansionary at the same time as fiscal policy is expansionary. So there's a whole theory that this should work and it sounds feasible in fact one of the things i do uh, there is actually a youtube video of this is i stand up and i explain how keynesian economists would manage the economy as if i was one and people all nod their heads and go yes that's that's, that's exactly right isn't it and then i explain how it's all wrong uh, and how a monetarist would uh, um, produce the argument for stimulation or not so i would come into the category you can classify economists in terms of macroeconomics between the more interventionist and the less interventionist. So the more interventionist are Keynesian economists, Minsky economists, modern monetary theorists. They're all the intervention economists. And then there's a few non-interventionist economists at the other side of things who would, the Austrian school of thought would come into that. Uh, the monetarist school of thought would come into that. So I sort of sit a long way away from intervention, but you will only listen to the interventionist economists because you will listen to economists who tell you, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. You'll say, great. Uh, you won't listen to someone who says, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. 
And in a political sense, it's exactly the same. My students say to me, why don't you go into politics? And I say, no one would vote for me because I'd have to stand up and say, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And a person will stand up next to me and go, yes, I can. I can do this. I can do this. Who do you vote for? You vote for the person who says, I can do all these things. And therefore, um, even when it all goes wrong and the person who tried to do all these things, it doesn't work. People still go, well, at least he or she tried. You weren't even going to try, were you? So I couldn't go into politics. Now, one of my concerns is that we're currently at a point where fiscal monetary aspects, as you just highlighted, they're coming to a coming to a, a pinch or a collision, of course, to where yeah. you got MMT being thrown out there as a way of keeping this party going. Yeah. And then you got monetary intervention from the Federal Reserve primarily looking to drop rates and quantitative ease, all those policies that have not worked. So yeah. at this current moment, you know, what are some things, what concerns you the most out of all these things happening around this world? What concerns you the most from subject matter we're talking about? Okay, it's manipulating interest rates. So it's central bank holding interest rates too low. And holding interest rates too low creates an illusion of things are okay because share prices go up and property prices don't fall. Asset prices are sort of held uh, at a level. But it creates problems. And the problem is that when you have low interest rates and you start to see those problems, which you are now, you've got no solution you're going to go, well, what do we do? Do we have to get them even lower? And you go, well, we can't. They're nearly naught now. And you go, well, we've got to go negative then. Interest rates don't do it. You can't deal with interest rates in that way. So I would just forget all interest rate controls in the economy and let markets, if you like, create interest rates. But if I've got to set a rule for a central bank, I'd say you keep your bank rate or your Fed funds rate in America, two percentage points above your rate of inflation. So if your rate of inflation is currently 2%, then bank rate, uh, Fed funds rate should be 4% uh, as a rule. So what I would like to do very much is solve that problem of the interest rate problem. Modern monetary theory doesn't help at all there. Uh, if the, on my blog, the last four articles are four big areas which explain why modern monetary theory is wrong, the things that they don't understand and the mistakes they make. And it's just another populist type of theory. As Keynesians, economics was popular because it said spend more money, cut taxes. Uh, modern monetary theory is in the same sort of ilk of wanting to keep spend, spend, spend uh, and, uh, and finance it in a way that won't cause inflation. And I suppose the last thing I should mention to you there is there is only one cause of inflation. Nothing uh, would cause inflation except the Federal Reserve or except the Bank of England. It's the rate at which they grow the money supply faster than the rate of growth of output in the economy. That's the only thing that causes, causes inflation. Wages going up doesn't cause, infl cause inflation. Exchange rates going down doesn't cause inflation. None of those things do. It's the way the central bank manages money. Right. Now, one of the things you mentioned is inflation. And so at this current point, there's no way of really determining the true rate of inflation because over here, the Bureau of Labor Statistics gives us some numbers based upon the CPI. But then the Federal Reserve used the PCE and those numbers at this current moment can't really be trusted because in the main economy, amongst actual goods and services we buy, 2%, yeah. it's well above 2%, I think. But how do you actually determine what the inflation rate will be to then give it a 2% benchmark above that as a way to set the Fed's funds, funds rate? 
there's no good measure of inflation because ideally if you wanted to measure inflation you'd have to take every price at every point in time and every transaction and work out an average for all those numbers you can't do that so you just select you select a sort of basket of products that you're going to monitor uh, and it's not perfect but the thing is that it identifies a trend and it will tell you if things are going up if things are going down so they're all very imperfect, and because they're imperfect, just follow one of them. And um, in the UK, there, there are two measures, uh, a retail price index and a consumer price index that are looked at. Uh, and again, you'll find a nice article on my blog, because the best one possible to use is the retail price index, which is why we use the consumer price index, because the consumer price index actually undervalues inflation uh, in the UK by about 1%. And that, you can prove that mathematically. It's all to do with geometrical calculations of averages as opposed to arithmetical calculations of averages. Um, so the measures are imperfect. You cannot actually perfectly measure inflation. So you really don't want people to keep changing the measure. Now let's do it this way, let's do it this way, because that's confusion. The thing to do is to set one measure and stick with it. Um, and uh, in, in the UK, we're with CPI, so I'm quite happy to use that. Um, but RPI, the original measure, uh, is a much better measure of inflation because it actually measures changes in the value of money, which uh, um, CPI doesn't. It undervalues because of the way it's calculated. Interesting. Now, I'm, I'm curious to find out your thoughts on just some, some of the factors that can play on what's happening with uh, the monetary policy and it's a lot of the physical as fiscal aspect and geopolitics is going on so in the uk you got the brexit over yeah. here we got possibility of an impeachment process underway how much of these events will really play upon um monetary policy you think or at all there's no need for those things to affect monetary policy if a central bank is using um its brains and doing things properly. But it will, because in the UK, Mark Garnis uh, said, well, if you do this, uh, if you Brexit, if you go out with no deal, then we'll have to do this to interest rates. Um, so there are sort of threats. Uh, we have to do this, we'll have to do this. Um, Trump in America uh, made some rather big calls, rather large overspending uh, in the budgets. Uh, which uh, are best financed with low interest rates. So although Powell's talking about wanting to put interest rates up, Trump is pushing him down and saying, no, no, we want uh, lower rates. And uh, Federal Reserve is succumbing, isn't it? It's, uh, it's sort of moving in that direction now, thinking about lowering interest rates again. And to be honest, I don't see interest rates going back up at all across the whole of the world especially that you have a competitive situation among central banks. I said um, oh, 10 years ago that if you ever want to get interest rates back up, you have got to have uh, a sort of concert among all the big central banks to say, okay, we'll move them all together. If you don't move them all together, you get very volatile exchange rates, which is great for traders uh, because they can make lots of money when there are volatile exchange rates, but it's not good for the economy to have that. So I would like things to move in concert uh, and uh, all central banks pushing interest rates up gradually until we get to this sort of number which is above the rate of inflation because all that means is that it's going to reward savers 
people who set aside money for their pensions or whatever it may be, uh, they're going to earn something by foregoing their current consumption, which is what interest rates were all about. So you're going to bring savers back in to the market instead of having a situation where we've got loads of problems. Someone's got to pay for this at the moment. It's savers who are paying. Thanks for watching this interview. If you're enjoying content like this, feel free to become a part of the RTD community by becoming a member via Patreon. All it takes is a monthly contribution of about $5 a month for more great content such as this. Just scroll down beneath this video here and click the Patreon link and then hit this tab right here to become a member of the team. Looking forward to bringing you more great content. Now, let's get back to this interview. Thanks. Now, another issue with raising rates to the levels or beyond what inflation currently is as a, as a way of getting back to some sense of normalcy is the yeah. fact that over the last decade, since the great financial crisis, we're looking at approximately $255 trillion of global debt. Yeah. And so I'd imagine if rates go back up, servicing that debt might be problematic. So with all the debt that's been created, you know, is there any way of unwinding it without there being a, you know, some type of catastrophic event where savers lose out, currencies inflate away, and worst case scenarios happen because of all this debt? Yeah. Hopefully there is, uh, in the sense that all countries would move together and all countries would move fairly slowly. So you don't have to, you know, I'd like to see it readjusted to a much higher level. Uh, and I sort of throw it in to get an argument going. But basically, you've got to look, shall we say, quarter point moves every two months. And gentle quarter point moves every two months mean that within a couple of years, you should be back to a much more normal level. If you popped it straight on, uh, then at the margin, you've got lots of people with debts who are only just about covering their debt, servicing that debt. Uh, they're going to go out as soon as you double interest rates or whatever it may be. Uh, so at the margin, there will always be people who are affected because there are people who gained when interest rates went down and uh, they're going to lose when interest rates go up and the people at the margin will lose to the point of which uh, they can't sustain servicing that debt. So you can, you're going to have problems. Changing back to a system where you have got sound money, if you like, will create problems and you can ease the creation of those problems just by doing it slowly. And the important thing is that if you don't do it, you're still going to have problems and things are still going to continue as they are now, you know, huge budgets, um, huge budgets that don't have much real effect. Because one of the things that economists like myself make quite clear is that there are certain things that government has to do, but it's not because they ever do anything efficiently. They never do anything efficiently. They waste resources. And you want a world where economies grow, because economies growing are the only way that we can all become better off. If economies don't grow, I can become better off, but only if you become worse off. So it's uh, taking it away from someone else if economies don't grow. If economies grow, we can all share in that growth. So what you want is policies that create economic growth. Interesting. So at this current moment, um, there's more and more mainstream news just uh, touting an economic slowdown. And therefore, over here, especially in the mainstream media, there's not a day that goes by where there's not an article saying recession is looming, recession is coming, or something of a scare nature that's really getting people's attention. And so is there a currently an economic slowdown? And if we reach a recessionary type of environment, will it be a global contagion? And then how bad will it look based upon what we know is currently underway and, and typically how monetary policy will respond to it? Yeah, it, it won't look good, I'm afraid, because what you have is a situation where government overspending 
and very low rates of interest has created the recession problem. And the only way that the um, establishment, if you like, says we can solve this problem is to have more of it, have more of the very thing that causes the problem. You have, almost like you're suggesting, you've got to rethink this and you've got to face up to the fact that you can't carry on doing the same thing because your problems are bad because you did these things and they're just going to get worse. You're not going to recover if you just carry on doing the things that cause the problem. You've actually got to reverse that process. You've got to start putting interest rates up. You've got to start saying to government, get your uh, books in order and stop overspending. Uh, you know, have policies designed to spend less um, and uh, eventually tax less. Because by spending less in a growing economy, your tax revenues will increase. They'll come in. So you can have tax rates that are lower. Interesting. Now, I'm curious to get your thoughts on a subject matter that's very near and dear to my heart and has to do with the retirement concept and me watching from on this side of the water how pension funds are imploding and they're heavily underfunded. Therefore, there's going to be a lot of people who invested their entire lives with the idea that they'll be able to receive something in the end, uh, more than likely having those promises broken. But then we have a younger generation that's been encouraged to follow that same pathway, but minus the security nature of them being forced to take on the responsibility of themselves, which they should do in the form of 401ks and all those products that are spun off uh, for your latter years. In yeah. your opinion, based upon your experience and your journey, how has that whole pension idea retirement concept turned out as a whole? If you can share though, your thoughts with that. Yeah. And that's, it's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse because of low interest rates. Low interest rates mean that people's savings are not increasing in value. And when interest rates are below the rate of inflation, they're not only not increasing in value, they're actually falling in real value. So if you want to set aside money for your retirement, uh, you would want to be buying into something which was increasing in value, some financial instruments that were increasing in value, or even just a savings account with a bank that was increasing in value. And because of what the um, Federal Reserve has done, the Bank of England, Bank of Japan, putting interest rates down, those funds are not coming through, and those funds are not coming through to the pension funds now, which means they can't finance the pensions that they promised to finance and that's why they're uh, in a very difficult situation so it is savers who have the problem if you're a young person now and you want to save for your retirement then unfortunately the best thing that you can do is buy real things so let's buy another property uh, let's have a holiday home let's start renting it out when you get to retirement you can then derive an income from the ownership of the, the various properties that you've bought instead of putting your money into a pension fund because you can't trust the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England to do the things that will protect your pension into the future. So it's, it's either, I mean, I have a friend in America who I was at university with over in the UK uh, and he's been there uh, almost all his working life and we talk uh, uh, occasionally and uh, he said, I'll retire when I die. Um, he sees no chance of retiring. It's just a case of uh, uh, carrying on working for as long as he can um, and, and that's it. So myself and my generation, we have done quite well out of the pension system 
the next generation won't because in effect the next generation pay for our mistakes um, people like modern monetary theorists or Keynesian economists who tell you that the um, debts are not shifted to the future and shifted to the next generation are wrong the next generation will pay for my good life and I thank them for it always uh, and I wish I could do more about it. And one of the things that will help you is just getting interest rates up. So there is a reward to saving, not a continual depreciation in the value of people's savings and the chances of them deriving an income when they decide that they want to stop working or can no longer work. So interesting. Good. And so I uh, appreciate you sharing that. So as we draw towards the end of our discussion, I'm curious to get your thoughts on from a historical standpoint. And then I was just taking a yep. guess, looking into the future. And so all empires come to an end. And yep. so under this current monetary system led by the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, I'm starting to get the sense that we're approaching some type of turning point in history. So I believe my generation is on a front, we, has a, we have a front row seat to a shift in probably global power. What do you think will be the next empire to rise up? Will it be from out east with China and Russia? I talk a lot about how they're accumulating a massive amount of gold these days. One Belt, One Road initiative. There's so many things that are being set up, it looks like, for that next world order. What are your thoughts and where are we heading from this point on? It's, it, 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 it just doesn't look particularly good unless we get our house in order and start to do things properly. But yes, I think you're looking at China and you're looking at uh, uh, India and you're probably looking at one or two South American countries, Chile, uh, perhaps, who have, are moving in the right direction are going to move quite fast. And one of the disappointing things about all of this, uh, I was um, at the time that China and Russia uh, went capitalist. China didn't go democratic. It stayed uh, a communist single party state, whereas Russia did. Uh, and if you then compare the two countries, which has grown the fastest, unfortunately, the one that grows the fastest is the one that's anti-democratic, which I suppose brings us to a sort of conclusion that we perhaps need some benevolent dictators out there who might start telling people what to do. Um, I'm not advocating that I do think uh, democracy is the second best system that we, we can have. But you've got to, it's got to work properly because in a democratic situation, people have got to understand what they're voting for. And they have got to say, listen to me talking and listen to the person next to me who can promise anything and go, I can see through that. You know, this person's talking sense. That person's just trying to get my vote. Uh, and, and I don't trust that person. And under those circumstances, we sort of might start to move in the right direction. And you mentioned Brexit earlier in the UK, which is a classic example of a situation where people... Um, understand more than the establishment actually wanted them to understand, uh, voted to leave something, uh, and that's the most democratic decision you can possibly have, is a referendum where the government says, we will honour what we say. If you say go, we will go. And then suddenly realises that uh, all of the people who are going to be affected by this are the politicians and the people on the gravy train and the bureaucrats. And they go, no, we don't, we really don't want this, do we? we let's try and reverse it. So there's a great sort of reverse. Again, two articles on my blog, one written just before the referendum, which explained why I would vote to leave. So it's a clear explanation as an economist why I would vote to leave. And then one straight after it called Brexit and Beyond, uh, which explains the problem now 
is that it's people versus the politicians. The politicians don't want to leave and now the people and the politicians are going to battle it out for the next three years and they're still battling it out and still uncertain as to what will happen on October the 31st. So one of the worrying things is that once you put people into power, it goes to their head. They think they know what to do. And uh, just listen to me. You do that. You do that. It'll all be wonderful. And then when it's not, you go, well, why is it not improved? And you go, well, we need to do a bit more. We need to do it. You never get that idea that perhaps we can't do these things. Let's just step back and let economies work. So, you know, the end of that, uh, I'm a great fan of capitalism managed correctly by rules and regulations and level playing fields. But that's the way that you move forward uh, and you grow economies. Uh, governments don't earn any money. Governments do nothing to grow economies. They're, um, I shall I call them leeches, but they draw their funds from the people who really produce things and then spend it wisely on their behalf or not wisely on their behalf, you decide. All right, and so John, I appreciate you spending time with us. I have one more question because I think this is very important. And so we've witnessed over the last several centuries the evolution of currency, a.k.a. money, from yeah. gold and silver, from a biometallic standard, to yeah. gold back paper notes, paper tender situations, to then gold and silver being frowned upon, and over here especially, 1933, removing gold from the public's hands, 1963, yeah. removing silver from coinage, to now we're paper and digital economy. And with the invention of the blockchain, cryptocurrencies, we've, I've witnessed from hard to solely computer numbers. What's the future, in your opinion? Is, is this a deliberate design to take us off of and to remove physical currency as the last way of people being able to retain value in their own possession? Or, or what's your thoughts on the future when it comes to digital uh, creation, created assets? The problem you've got is if I gave you a machine that printed money and I asked you to do this wisely and to do this carefully uh, and you start to realize that when you print money it really does benefit you uh, because all the damage of printing money comes in six months time in uh, you can buy things at current prices so you can print money go out there today and get anything you want so the person who's got the printing press is in a very powerful position that sort of encourages them to do it too much uh, and can you trust governments to do it well no you can't um it's been nice in a sense that you've had a central bank which is just one little step away from government uh, which has added a discipline but uh, you haven't had the discipline that we would all want. Although at this moment, central banks are reasonably clued into how to achieve an inflation target of, shall we say, 2%. And as long as they could continue doing that and keeping prices stable, then the Bitcoins and the cryptocurrencies won't really grow in the marketplace. If governments become uh, excessive uh, if they decide that uh, the only way out of this is to get interest rates negative and to pump more money into the economy, a big round of quantitative easing, then inflation will start to pick up. And if inflation starts to pick up, then people look for alternatives. They start buying their gold and storing that. Uh, and the cryptocurrencies, there'll be a vacuum into which cryptocurrencies could come in and people will go, yeah, blockchain, I can trust blockchain. Uh, it actually recalls real events and values things in real time rather than um, uh, this 
money that seems to continue to fall in value. I'm sorry to sort of keep going on about my blog, but there is a nice little article on there called Money, Money Supply, Money Creation and Monetary Demand, which explains exactly how this has gone in the past. And as soon as you created a full fiat currency, then you needed to be able to trust the person who got their hands on the printing press. And you can see example, every single inflation is caused by the printing press. And everywhere in the world where you've had hyperinflation, Zimbabwe, Argentina, the Weimar Republic in Germany, uh, after the First World War, wherever you have uh, inflation that gets higher and higher and higher, it's caused by the central bank and it's caused by um, the printing presses. Uh, and it, the one thing to remember is that there is only one cause of inflation. As uh, economists, you will come across this cost push argument for inflation, where inflation is pushed up by higher oil prices or energy prices or higher wages or falling exchange rates. All totally wrong. None of those things can affect the rate of inflation at all. They change relative prices, but they don't affect the rate of inflation. All your rates of inflation are determined by the Federal Reserve uh, or the Bank of England or the Bank of Japan or whoever it is who's got their hands on the printing press. So if you keep control of the printing press, cryptocurrencies won't grow. If the printing press starts to run harder and harder and inflation starts to pick up, there will be a vacuum into which cryptocurrencies can uh, um, come in and become much more mainstream than they are at the moment. Yeah. Well, John, Hearn, it's been great having you here on Rethinking a Dollar. And of course, I definitely will be linking your blog beneath this video here so all the viewers can have a chance to find out more about your work because I really enjoyed uh, your analysis and your assessment on where we're at and possibly where we're heading. So uh, with that being the case, uh, for those that may not be familiar with you, I'll link it below. But any last thoughts you want to leave us with anywhere you want to point them outside of your blog to uh, stay in tune and to be a blessing to your work? Well, they could always join me on uh, Twitter, at uh, JB Hearn, if they want a nice uh, friendly discussion uh, on matters. There's a nice sort of group of people there who are trying to change things. And it is a social media platform. And it is the case that really people have got to talk about all these things and try and understand. And the one thing I suppose I try and do, and it's the result of having to teach people from uh, a point at which they know nothing, uh, is to always try and make um, economics easy, to try and use simple words that people understand and not hide behind all the complicated uh, econometrics and difficult maths that uh, people look at and give up. Okay, you better deal with it because economists don't deal with it well uh, and everyone can be an economist if you just take them more slowly through things and make sure that they understand all of the basic words they know what they mean and then you can build up understanding and hopefully uh, get things uh, sorted so yeah i mean have a read of my blog join me on on twitter um and uh, well hopefully we'll change the world slowly bit by bit well, sounds good, John. I appreciate you once again. And definitely, I uh, will link all the information beneath this video here. So as always, if you enjoyed this back and forth, make sure you share this video here so more people can find out about matters that are relatively important. And then make sure you give us a thumbs up and look forward to bringing more RTD interviews in the future. So, John, thanks for joining us and look forward to staying in touch with you. Forward to speaking to you again. Cheers, Mike. Bye.